Hi, this is Saqib Rahman from the OrthoClips podcast series. And today I'm joined with Dr. Shiraz Qureshi, MD, MBA, who's Associate Professor of Orthopedic Surgery at the Weill Cornell Medical College and is the Patty and Jay Baker Endowed Chair in Minimally Invasive Spine Surgery at the Hospital for Special Surgery. And today we're going to be talking about minimally invasive spine surgery, top five tips. Thanks, Shiraz, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Saqib, thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's a real honor to be part of this. I uh, had the pleasure of uh, listening to a few of the previous ones that you've done, and I think it's a, a really great resource for uh, residents, fellows, and, uh, and surgeons. So thanks, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks. Appreciate the love. Um, let's get into it. So how did you get interested in the field? What, uh, what drew you in and uh, got you to focus your practice on this? So, you know, I think like for all of us, um, I, I've had uh, a lot of great mentors that have ultimately brought me to, uh, to what I do today. Um, I would say, you know, if we go all the way back to just uh, kind of growing up and, and being interested in orthopedics, uh, like a lot of us, I, I just had an interest in sports and athletics and that sort of tied me into to orthopedics like a lot of us do. Uh, it's, um, you know, uh, one of these things that we often hear. Uh, and then once I, you know, was lucky enough to get into orthopedic residency, I really realized the breadth of the field. Um, I loved everything as I was going through residency. I loved joint replacements, trauma surgery, sports surgery, hand surgery. And I think every rotation I did, I was sort of convinced that that's what I was going to specialize in. Uh, and then, you know, just like when you, when you find your true love, I did my spine rotation and I had a great mentor, uh, in, in spine surgery during my residency and we hit it off personally. And I always find that sort of those personal bonds between, uh, trainees and attendings are so important and ultimately what we go into, uh, and, and then I realized I really loved, um, not only the surgery, uh, but probably more importantly, and this may sign, sound a little bit strange, but I actually really love the office hours. Um, and, and I remember a lot of my attendings telling me, you know, whatever you choose, just make sure that you like the non-surgical aspects of it as well, because as a resident, we can sometimes, uh, you know, get fooled into thinking that all we do is surgery, but we spend so much time in, in, in the clinic and office hours. And I appreciated in spine surgery that um, you know, the thought process was, uh, was stimulating. Uh, there were a lot of different options and ways to treat patients. And if in, like in most of orthopedics, if you had really good indications, um, your patients did well, uh, but you had the opportunity to really have a lifelong relationship with a patient where you could treat the same patient in their 20s and then again in their 40s and again in their 60s and and uh, and beyond uh, because the spine is is such a huge structure that can have so many different pathologies so that's sort of what led me to spine surgery and then when I you know as I was going through training interestingly you know I know you're uh, you're you're a one of the leading trauma surgeons in the country and so one of the things that actually got me interested in minimally invasive spine surgery is that when I was going through my training as a as a junior resident is uh, when sort of the less invasive trauma techniques were becoming popular and sort of this whole thought around preserving the soft tissue envelope uh, became so popular. As a matter of fact, it, it, 
it was such a significant uh, impactor on my choice in doing minimally invasive surgery. When I give a lecture on this, I, I, I show like a list plate and sort of the concepts of, uh, of, of soft tissue preservation. And, and it was interesting to me that in the spine, um, you know, we were still and continue to do a lot of open surgery and don't, are not as cognizant of the soft tissue envelope. And so, so it was really kind of adopting those um, techniques, whether it be from arthroscopy, fluoroscopically based surgery, uh, soft tissue preserving procedures. Um, and, I, and I said, you know, I love spine surgery. Um, and, and the thought around minimally invasive procedures was starting to become popular around 2001. Uh, really, that was kind of the birth of things. And, uh, and being able to marry some of the things that I learned during my training as other fields were going towards less invasive options, I was just lucky enough to kind of be in the right place at the right time, and I thought it was a perfect marriage. It's really interesting uh, to hear that story and also uh, how it relates or how the evolution of minimally invasive spine surgery kind of gave us a peek at how uh, that has developed and uh, sort of the interconnections with um, you know, what we do in trauma. So really interesting. Um, now, what, what, let's get to the topic, um, uh, title of uh, the topic, top five tips. Uh, and these can be anything, uh, I guess maybe nothing like extraordinarily technical that, um, you know, a general uh, person or senior resident wouldn't understand, but what are your top five tips spine surgeons, uh, residents on a spine rotation maybe should know uh, in your opinion, to help achieve the best results for their patients um, if they're thinking about doing minimally invasive spine surgery? Yeah, I, I you know, and I, I appreciated this, uh, this topic a lot because I have uh, this discussion with my own uh, residents and fellows as well because, and, and hopefully a lot of what I'm going to say here translates to everything that we do, um, you know, because it is, there, there's so much overlap in what we do. Um, so when I think about the top five things that I would, you know, suggest to my residents or fellows um, or other surgeons uh, in taking care of patients um, and ultimately tying it into minimally invasive spine surgery, the first and most important thing uh, is I think that when we're dealing with a patient, I think taking a great history and doing a great physical exam uh, is so critical. Um, and specifically when we think about minimally invasive spine surgery, um, it becomes more important because we are really trying to provide targeted treatments. So if you think about somebody whose chief complaint is back pain, that is this huge black box of things that could be going on. And I think as most of us are aware, when we look at an MRI of a patient at a certain age, we're going to find a lot of positive findings per the radiologist's reading of that MRI report uh, or the CAT scan or even the x-rays. And all too often we can uh, get sort of, you know, busy in an office hours and we end up sort of going ahead and looking at the MRI or the x-rays before we ever saw the patient. And that's a really easy way to treat the imaging as opposed to the patient. And then the negative about that is that it's really easy to do more than what is absolutely necessary. So when we're thinking about minimally invasive surgery, you got to take a great history, do a great physical exam so that you can be as targeted when you're looking at your imaging 
as you are in the operating room to say, you know what, there's 15 different things that are going on on this MRI, but based on your symptoms and on my physical exam findings, here's the one or two spots that I see that I think are the primary sources of your symptoms. And this is what we're going to go after. And that's what's going to allow us to do something uh, minimally invasive. So that's number one. And I think that's, like you said, it's, apply, it's applicable to so many things. But um, I, I, would, I would say that it's more important in spine surgery than in like orthotrauma, for instance. Um, not like it's not important. It is. But, um, but let's be honest. I think in, in a spine patient, I would say that those things are really critical um, and more so uh, than in some other fields, although... Um, you know, it certainly has general application. You have to listen to your patients. You can't treat the imaging. Uh, but I think it's even more critical in spine. I think so too. You know, I think that uh, in spine surgery, there it's, you know, the, we sort of joke about the fact that, you know, if you see five spine surgeons, you may get 10 different opinions. Um, and it's because there are a lot of different ways to treat not, not only a particular pathology, but a particular symptomatology. And a lot of it, you know, it really leads to that, you know, the term that we've all heard, the art of medicine. And, uh, and one of the, you know, really important arts in spine surgery is trying to create the best picture uh, in your mind of the particular patient that you're seeing in order to try to provide the treatment that's going to be the most successful. So, you know, the goal of minimally invasive surgery is not always to do the smallest operation, but it is to try to try to do the most targeted procedure. Um, because in spine surgery, I think more so than in other fields of orthopedics, uh, it can be really easy to do more than what is absolutely necessary. Sure. Got more segments to work on. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, <laughs> it's only so many femurs I can fix. Right. <laughs> so what's, what's number two? Number two right. tip. So I think the number two tip is make sure that you spend your time with your patient so that they have realistic expectations. And again, while this is applicable to all um, different surgeries and all different patients, I think the reason that it's specifically important to minimally invasive surgery is because when people think about minimally invasive spine surgery, they think about the Band-Aid operation, leaving the hospital the same day, and you know, sort of this magic wand that's gonna get them back to doing everything they wanna do. And while that may be realistic for the 30 to 40 year old with a single level disc herniation where we do a you know, 14 millimeter opening and, and, and remove the disc fragment and they have immediate relief, it may not be as true as the per, for the person who's the 70-year-old who has a degenerative scoliosis that we're doing a minimally invasive scoliosis correction, but that still involves a four-and-a-half-hour surgery and a three-day stay in the hospital and, 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 a, and a prolonged recovery time. So, you know, as we all know, uh, you know, patients often say, well, you know, you operated on my brother and that's why I came to you because I couldn't believe how fast he got better. But sometimes the pathologies are completely different and you have to make sure that your patients understand what their problem is, what their surgery is going to involve, and you have to make sure they have realistic expectations of the outcomes uh, 
because again, especially when we're doing minimally invasive spine surgery, the patient is very focused on the term minimally invasive. Um, and that can often to the patient mean no recovery and no pain. Uh, and that's a, a, a real, you know, that can be a real problem in the post-op period uh, if you haven't, you know, counseled your patient appropriately about what the particular surgery that you're going to do on them is going to involve and what their recovery is going to look like. Yeah, I think that's really important to set those expectations so, um, you know, they don't have the wrong idea. So very good, very applicable to other fields as well. But of course, you know, I think here you really have to sometimes probably reset expectations that maybe patients come in with and uh, realign it with, you know, what you typically see. So I think that's a really good one. What's, in, uh, what's number three? All right. So number three is you have to treat every patient like they were your mother when you're recommending what to do. And I think that's really important in minimally invasive surgery because, you know, in spine surgery in general, patients are deal, their primary symptom is pain. And pain is a very subjective thing. And by the time they get to that spine surgeon's office, uh, oftentimes they are ready to do whatever you tell them because they've tried it all, it's failed, and they just, you know, they're at their wits end with the pain that they're having, their loss of function, it can lead to depression and, and, and all sorts of things. Um, and when they hear that they have a minimally invasive option, you know, I think it can be a real attraction for them to have surgery with you, the minimally invasive surgeon, as opposed to the person who's doing an open surgery, where they may say, well, I'm going to choose you because you're doing this minimally invasively. So I think be honest with yourself, make sure that you could treat the problem minimally invasively and get them a good outcome. Don't recommend surgery if you wouldn't recommend it on your mother for the same problem. Be, you know, be sort of take that inner look and make sure that the surgery that you're recommending um, is, is something that you know in your hands is gonna work. And again, I think this is specifically applicable to spine surgery and minimally invasive surgery because you know, if we think about a problem like a degenerative spondylolisthesis with spinal stenosis, that's maybe the most common problem that spine surgeons see in their practices. There's eight different surgeries that are the right surgery for that patient. So figure out what works best in your hands. Make sure that it's the right option for the patient that you're, that you're recommending it to. And and I always, you know, I always find it, you know, one of the most common things my fellows and residents ask me is, how did you decide to, you know, do such and such instead of such and such on this patient? And I say, you know what, it's really simple, because ultimately, if you think about it, if you listen to your patient, you figure out what their goals are, what their comorbidities are, what their pathology is, while you may start with seven different options, usually for any one particular patient, there is one best option in your hands as the surgeon that's going to work the best. So pretend that that's your mother sitting in front of you. And I think that you can't go wrong or you're less likely to go wrong in that sense because you, you should only offer the surgery that you know is going to work the best in your hands for that patient. And that's a huge variable. And I think especially in minimally invasive surgery where there's such a technical component to it, it becomes really critically important. A great tip, um, an easy one for people to remember. 
Um, What's number four? All right. So number four is, is probably most specific for residents, but I do think that for, for fellows and, and, and even some, uh, uh, for spine surgeons who are in practice is important. And that is that surgical skills are additive. So all too often, um, you know, once a, a resident decides I'm going to go into spine surgery, uh, they don't, spend the time to try to master the other things during residency that are so important. And I think, you know, take the time, try to be the best arthroplasty surgeon you can be. Try to be the best uh, sports arthroscopist that you could be. Try to do the best microsurgery in hand surgery. Try to pin, uh, you know, a bunion as absolutely best you can, because ultimately those are skills that are going to translate. And you as the resident that's going through this now is, are, you're going to be the people that are going to advance our field in minimally invasive surgery by using the techniques that you're learning in other places. So I always try to impart on our residents. Once you've decided you want to be a spine surgeon, make sure now more than ever, that you try to master everything else. Go and learn what the trauma surgeons are doing. You know, the way that I now take uh, autographed in my minimally invasive T-lift surgeries, I just happened to walk into a room with, where one of my trauma attendings was, uh, was fixing a fracture and he was using an Acumed reverse reamer to, to minimally invasively take a little bone graft from the crest. And I said, oh my God, this is amazing. And now I not only do I do it, I wrote about it, I published on it, I created a technique around it. And, uh, and, and, you know, it was just one of these things where you watch somebody else doing something and you say, how can I use that in my field? Um, so I think for residents, it's really important. I think for fellows, it becomes also critical because when they say, hey, I'm going to come and do my fellowship at hospital for special surgery because I want to be a minimally invasive spine surgeon, I make sure that our guys who are coming in for that aspect, they make that they become the best deformity surgeons they can become by, by interacting with our open deformity surgeons or our open uh, surgeons who are doing degenerative problems because only by understanding anatomy in an open manner can you then translate it minimally invasively. And then lastly, for the surgeon who's already in practice, I mean, I, um, you know, prior to this uh, pandemic hitting us, uh, you know, I, had a plan to go out and, and uh, my, you know, I've, I've started doing robotic spine surgery and, but I wanted to go and watch some uh, robotic cases with one of our urologists at Cornell uh, because I want to get a better understanding of, of where we can go in spine surgery where the urologists have already been. And so I think, you know, surgical skills are additive. We're always learning. And I think the big mistake that people make is once they decide to specialize, they think that that's the time to stop thinking about everything else. And it's really quite the reverse. Great tip. Everybody needs to hear that. Um, all right. Last but not least, tip number five. Right. Last but not least, I think um, it is really important and, and, and is important for everybody, regardless of specialty, but learn from your patients. I think that is so critical. And it's something that we um, often don't realize until we've been in practice for a few years. But I think keeping a registry no matter how in-depth or it, it is or, or sort of how cursory it is, I think keeping some kind of registry of your patients and the surgeries you're doing, trying to collect some kind of outcomes is, is so vital to growing um, 
as a surgeon and, and really uh, impactful in, in the uh, value of care that you're providing for your patients. Because ultimately, you know, we read papers and we say, oh, you know, such and such treatment, you know, here's a comparative effectiveness study that shows that uh, minimally invasive T-lift surgery was better than open surgery when we looked at, you know, a meta-analysis, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's great. But, you know, the one thing that it doesn't take into account is the individual surgeon's skill. And you have to figure out in your hands what is the best care you're providing your patients. And the only way to know that is to learn from your own patients. And, uh, you know, I, I have learned so much from my own patients because by keeping a registry, by going and publishing on it, it's great. It tells other people sort of some things to think about, but it's most valuable to me because it tells me for a particular pathology, what is the surgery that I'm doing the best that's coming with the best outcome? And that may be different than uh, how it may work in another surgeon's hand. So really, really important to learn from your patients, keep a registry, go back, see how you're doing. And that's the best way to evolve as a surgeon and always provide the best care that you can to your patients. Excellent. Very, very uh, important uh, for our listeners to hear that as well. Um, so I'm going to recap uh, those five tips um, in my own words. Uh, number one is uh, accurate history and physical uh, on your patients uh, when they come to see you. Don't treat the x-rays. Number two was uh, setting expectations. And then many patients may be having to reset expectations. They're not going to have... They're not all going to have that magical uh, recovery um, from the minimally invasive surgery. Uh, number three, treat every patient like your mother, you know, with your indications as well as uh, what you decide to do with them um, surgery-wise. Uh, number four, surgical skills are additive. So master as many techniques as possible, especially you residents out there who know that you're going into one particular field, just remember there's different techniques you learn in the different subspecialties that uh, you might be able to translate over um, as you develop your field in the future. And number five was learn from your patients, uh, especially in an objective manner where you collect data for registry, look at outcomes, and you're able to really see what are you doing correct or need to do better for your patients. Uh, great stuff. I hope I interpreted that correctly. That was perfect. That was perfect. Great. Um, so again, we've, uh, I think that about wraps it up for time. Um, I've been uh, chatting with uh, Dr. Shiraz Qureshi from a hospital for special surgeries, a, a minimally invasive spine surgeon. And um, we've been talking about minimally invasive spine surgery, top five tips. Shiraz, I really want to thank you for coming on the show. Sakib, thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure.